I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to 3, a show about Federer Nadal and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Wimbledon semifinals, Nadal, Djokovic, they have booked their ticket to it. But it took five sets for each of them with uh, against our, uh, our power baseliners, Yannick Sinner and Taylor Fritz, who are both very much um, in certain ways up to the task, in other ways not. And um, Djokovic coming back from down two sets to love, Nadal overcoming some uh, some physical issues with his abdomen. We just got finished watching the Nadal match. It is fresh in our minds. So let us start with that. How was Nadal able to win this match without being able to really pump the serve over 115? I mean, he could not serve fast, but he could play well, and he did against Taylor, Amy. It was reminiscent of a great change-up pitcher. If anyone watches American baseball, he changed speeds. He did pump one in late in the match at 117. So he placed it well. He played the plus one brilliantly. But for me, it, it was really about a battle between the back of the court and the front of the court. And Taylor Fritz is as good a baseliner as there is on tour right now. He's sensational. He hits great ground shot, ground strokes, but he doesn't have the confidence. He doesn't have the shots and he doesn't have the execution once you get in the front part of the court. And whether Nadal was bringing him up there against his will or whether he tentatively, if rarely approached, he just didn't have it. And, and he can set himself up with these amazing ground strokes that he has pushing Nadal deep in the court. And he chooses not to come forward off of any of those. So he lets Nadal back in these points. He lets Nadal go from defense to offense, which Nadal does better than pretty much anyone ever in the history of the sport, maybe Novak or Roger. Um, and, and that was, it, it was just plainly obvious to me. It wasn't that Taylor Fritz folded or choked or anything like that. To me, it was just plainly obvious that he doesn't have the skills. And especially at Wimbledon, you've got to know your way around the front part of the court. Just amazing. It's what a switch in the evolution of tennis. If you had said to someone, yeah, the guy from Southern California who's tall and has the big serve, grew up on hard courts, is going to be less comfortable in the court than the guy who grew up in Spain playing on clay, but who, who's to play to the baseline and then has become a tremendous forward mover in his way in the contemporary game. I mean, Nadal, 26 of 36 of the net, 10 of 11 in the fifth set. And you're so right, Amy, uh, Taylor couldn't quite take advantage. And there's also, there's also a fear factor of doing that against Nadal. The very first point of the decisive tiebreak, Fritz had a short ball, hit a backhand cross court, but didn't do as much with it and reminded me of the Zverev point in the in Roland Garros in a tiebreak. And Rafa, it wasn't quite as spectacular a thing, but it was somewhat similar yet again. So here's Nadal. Nadal, the minute he hit the weak return, Nadal began to run to his left because he knew Fritz was going to hit the ball there. And again, yeah, Taylor a little less uh, sure of himself in that front part of the court. Yeah, you're you're so right about that. And, and Nadal's defense was very effective as a result of that. Uh, but I want to shift gears to Nadal's offense. And then we got to hit his mental because that was a big deal in this one. Uh, offensively, Nadal's forehand came on in such a way. And, you know, it was almost like, okay, the guy is serving. The guy is serving like he's become a, a slow ball spot server. Um, but it doesn't feel like he's short on firepower because his forehand is creating that much damage. And the combination of cross-court short angle to change down the line was so sharp. 
And Fritz is not, he's not Novak when it comes to the, the movement department. And I just felt like that was so, uh, so blatant and, and obvious when it came to, uh, I felt Nadal's forehand really poked holes in Fritz's movement because in, in neutral rallies, the control that Nadal had on that shot was, uh, was so good. And Fritz didn't have the movement to really hang in there against it. Particularly, he did not move well vertically. Um, how many times did Nadal get him on a drop shot in some of those pivotal games? And his Fritz has a great backhand, you know, he has a great cross court backhand, but that's just right into Nadal's forehand. And going toe to toe with Nadal on the baseline, you're not going to, you can maybe draw even with him. And I think, in fact, they probably won about the same number of points. But it, where Nadal has the edge is those other areas, the, the front court and the mental. On the ad side, though, Amy, when Fritz was going cross court with his backhand, Nadal was usually first to change line. And yes. he was doing it so effectively that yes. I felt Fritz was losing in that pattern. Agreed. Yeah, it's just fascinating how Nadal, I wonder if even the abdominal injury created a little urgency in Nadal knowing how he had to conduct himself in the rallies that he, he knew whether he was feeling some pain. So he's got to get a little a little more snap and pop a little more sooner, a little more with the down the line forehand. You write the, the cross court, the cross court forehand to the righty backhand. You know, backhands have improved. Backhands improved. He's not, he's not hitting the cross court forehand to the, um, to the 2007 backhands. He's hitting that to the 2022 backhands and they're better. They know that Rafa this is the thing. This is both our guys. And we'll talk about this. When we get to Novak. Uh, they proved why they're the focus of our show in both of these matches. And, and these guys like Sinner and Taylor Fritz, they're really good. They're a lot better than some of the guys Novak and Rafa played earlier in their career. Okay, and let's, just let's talking about, I just, before we go to that, um, I just want to talk about the baseline just a little bit more because that really is Taylor Fritz's game. Um, I thought Nadal did a masterful job of varying the height that he gave to Fritz, low to high, drop shots. Um, sometimes Nadal would drive the backhand. A lot of times he would slice it. And that really um, drew a lot of errors. How many times did Fritz hit the ball long? Uh, now, th those will show as unforced errors. I thought they were really forced. And, and it was really kind of a, a masterpiece in uh, varying the types of shots that Nadal gave to Fritz. As Gil cited in our prior show, that Nadal was going to do some of those things, that he was going to vary some height and depth and speed and spin. And, uh, yeah, well done, Coach Gil. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, he, he sliced a ton and some people thought it was because he was injured and I, I was looking at it. I was like, no, I think it's tactical. I think he just wants to slice uh, against Taylor. All right, a lot of people, and maybe we buried the lead here, I don't know. A lot of people thought, well, Ralph is going to retire in the second set when uh, that was the part in the match where the, the forehand was stiff and, and most importantly, he didn't move. He wasn't moving. Um, and that that ended up after the medical timeout shortly after it got better. Um, what I was thinking in that moment was about what he said at Indian Wells, which is in these moments, I lose 90% of the time, but if I don't try, then I lose a hundred percent of the time. And I thought, well, Nadal's not going to retire. This is that, this is that situation here. And I think even his father wanted him to retire based on the hand signals and he didn't. Joel, do you, do you agree? Do you think that's why Nadal didn't retire? Yes, I do agree. And saying also the old lot of people, I guess, I guess tweets and broadcast commentators and things like that. I mean, we know Nadal. We, we, he, he's one third of the reason we built this show. Nadal's in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And actually Nadal, out of his respect for the game and his opponents and the whole situation of tennis, reminded me of when the, the rumor that he was going to retire when he won Roland Garros. He wouldn't do that to the event. He wouldn't make himself the story more that he would retire. And we have seen him withdraw from matches when it's incredibly, I mean, when it's about 11 on a scale of 10, when it's that bad, as I saw him do, I think he did it versus Chilich one year at the Australian Open. But 
Nadal's not going to do that. He's going to he's going to fight to the last drop and try to play through the injury. And uh, I, I guess his dad was was that coaching. <laughs> well, it's it's soon to be allowed. So for me, it doesn't doesn't really even matter. I know. But, um, I you know the piece that I wrote going into this match is Nadal out of sorts. I I think he is out of sorts. I, I think I was proven right on that. But that doesn't mean he's not capable of fighting and playing a brilliant match. So in the post match, you know, of course, he's just come off this epic victory, and the third question, the the word that. Nadal Nadal does not want to hear is curious and the look on his face that it's like the color just drained out of his face when he heard that name and he indicated that he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to play I mean fingers crossed that whatever they did to him in that medical timeout they can do to him again and he'll have a couple of days and hopefully he can play yeah I actually think it was the crowd and I don't think Rafa knew because I agree. I, I was, I saw his face. I don't think he knew what to do because the crowd, they said, Nick Kyrgios is next. And, and everyone was, was like, like, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> like as if like, watch that again. Said a bad Nadal, word. I mean, the, the whole reason that I knew that Nadal was out of sorts and that I wrote that piece really had nothing to do with with what happened in the Sonigo match or the the quick serving or or you know the change in return position the reason that I knew was his face he reveals so much with his facial expressions and we've been watching him now for decades so um the the look on his face when when the name Curios was mentioned was not a pleasant look yeah, well, that's a tough matchup, and we'll, we'll get into that one. But I think Nadal, also Nadal, reminds me a little bit of uh, his times with Robin Soderling. Nadal likes to play people who he likes and gets on with well, and then we can compete and just do our business on the court. And it's not doesn't have to take on this emotional, this whole other extracurricular thing. So in the crowd, obviously the whole world, the whole Nadal and Kyrgios and their approaches to so many things is so different and conflicty and Kyrgios is liking that and he's playing great and all this kind of stuff going on. That's the kind of tumult Nadal doesn't like. Nadal, like a lot of the great players, he likes to keep it minimalist, you know, mm -hmm. not extra things kind of impacting. The tennis itself is hard enough. So why create all this other, other clutter? Let's talk about the Djokovic center match and then we will uh, preview the semifinals. Novak uh, lost the first two sets, came back uh, from two sets to love down for the third time in the last two seasons. He did it twice at Roland Garros against Tsitsipas and Musetti. Uh, it was uh, very similar to both of those matches because although you could say like Djokovic escapes from the brink of defeat, I, did he? Because he got up an early break in all three sets and... Sinner never really got overly close to the finish line. So, I mean, I guess the question I'll, I'll ask with that in mind, Joel, is like, what was the difference in the, in the sets three, four, and five compared to one and two? I think Novak has got to be the most tranquil guy down two sets to love I've ever seen because he doesn't, <laughs> he's almost dare. He's not, he's not daring. He's not lulling. Um, he's, the other guy is clearly redlining, though you, all, you see this thing, like by the end of the second set, Novak looks like a beaten and broken man. And yet he just, you know, he took his break, he gathered himself. And again, it comes down, I think in Novak's case, more than our other three to just such good technique, such good balance. It's like, he's going to stay, he's going to find that level. He's going to up it a bit more. He's going to get a little more consistent. I also noticed he started to hit harder, harder, a little deeper. And he's kind of saying, okay, what have you got, Sinner? You, you showed me everything you had those first two sets. You brought all you had to take your two sets to love lead. Well, guess what? I've played a zillion of these matches. And, and also, I think um, slams are the only place where people play best of five now. At least there once was a time they had people get a little more seasoning for those. So I just think he, he just turns up the volume. But it's not, it's not extraordinary. You know, it's not, and it's not these moments where suddenly he's – He's down 4-1 in the third or the fourth, and the guy's got a chance. I mean, it felt, I don't know how you guys felt. I thought by about the uh, 
start of the fourth set that Novak was going to win the match pretty, pretty comfortably. What did you think? Start of the fourth. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think, and boy, can I ever relate to what I'm about to say. He may not even be conscious of it, but I think motivation is so key to Novak's efficiency and success that to hear from the crowd, they wanted more tennis. They wanted, he wanted to hear them pulling for him. Um, Subconsciously, I think um, he is really buoyed by, by that kind of thing. And he got it. He got it after losing two sets. And uh, that was really all he needed to play less passively. And as he said in his post, he noticed that Sinner was losing confidence and he seized upon that. Both Novak and Rafa are quite good at also seizing some of the territory, whether it's driving, taking the ball a little earlier and also uh, getting to net, getting to net more. And these other guys, you see Sinner and Taylor Fritz, they need to see that as an upside. And they need to say, you know, look, uh, Rafa, early in his career and throughout his career, play a little doubles, do some things, build, broaden those skills. I mean, we were, we were texting earlier today about a women's match and, a, and some different players who, who don't come to net as much. And that's a skill that this gets to the whole developmental issue. And I hope players like Sinner and Fritz both begin to do that more because they sure create the openings. Right. Uh, they both missed some key volleys, Sinner and Fritz. And both of them, both of them had to deal with the mental dynamics of the expectation in the match shifting. Fritz seeing that Nadal was injured and suddenly, oh boy, I'm I'm supposed to win. And by the way, I once lost to a player with a torn ab in Australia, Novak in 2020. Mm-hmm. So this has already happened. I lost against a, against a player with a similar injury. Uh, we don't know if Nadal hasn't had an MRI, so we don't know exactly. Um, and then for Sinner, oh, I'm up two sets to love. Now I'm supposed to win. And Djokovic said, uh, I think this, it was amazingly honest of, of Novak. He could feel on the other side of the net that shift happen. And this is where it comes down to experience and aura of the big three both these these guys are inexperienced in that position they haven't been there they don't really know they don't have that internal confidence that they can do it and uh there there might just be some some doubt when novak starts to roll in the third and the fourth set oh my god i'm actually not going to win this right and then though i thought as that fifth set started with novak and sinner i didn't see any chance for sinner it wasn't like suddenly like okay now we go to the fifth and it's all even and one for the whole thing. It's almost like Sinner had was spent, not necessarily physically, not necessarily tired, but kind of a, of ammunition. He, he, he didn't have any more ideas, didn't have any more ideas. It's yeah. like Novak had taken his full measure and seen all his stuff. He said, okay, I've seen all your stuff for, for four sets. I've now, I've won 36 straight matches on this court. What have you done young man? And Sinner kind of gulped. And it reminded me of a match a few years ago when tennis Sandgren had, seven match points on Federer in the Australian Open. And Roger went into, uh, I keep the ball in play. I know how to keep the ball in play. I know how to make you play. I know how to ask you just enough questions. What have you got? And then these guys suddenly see, oh, oh, my technique, my emotions, all the factors that suddenly make tennis difficult. There's definitely an art to managing expectations, whether it be related to having to being up two sets in a five set match or, or injury, your opponent is injured. And I think that just comes down to staying in the present and focus. And that is an art. I mean, it takes a lot of meditation, which Novak does. And when your mind wanders and thinks about the scoreboard or your opponent's injury, you have to gently pull it back to the present. And those, these three guys, our big three, are masters at that. Yeah, and certainly Novak, when he gave himself the pep talk in the mirror that he talked about after losing the first two sets, I mean, the number of mistakes that he made for the remainder of the match were so minimal that Yannick really would have needed to earn everything. There was never like a blip or an opening and in the first set and the second set, that just wasn't true. I mean, Novak, um, especially on the drop shot in particular, there were mistakes. And then, okay, 
as soon as Djokovic had the understanding, if I continue to make mistakes, I am going home. There were no more mistakes. With uh, the caveat that I think Sinner could approach the net more on some of his deeper damaging baseline strokes. But the TV commentator, I think it was McEnroe, said that he has knowledge that Sinner is actually working on this part of his game. So there's hope. There's hope there. But um, spot on, Gil, about that. And well, I, I have knowledge that Fritz is working on that part of his game. They, they wanted the forehand um, for that. That's what they've been working on a lot. Go after the forehand. And now next is the transition game. And that's per Paul Anacone. Well, then we see how they go about working on it and how what form that takes, whether it's obviously there's practice and there's stuff that we don't know that they're doing away from the tournament weeks. There's um, there's doubles, which is an obvious way there's um earlier round matches against other people um yeah it's tricky it's just it's fascinating to me player development this way how that works i mean what goes on um earlier i was on a, um you mentioned paul anacone i was on a conference call with him last night with some southern california people talking about that and uh i brought up how a lot of parents will say oh yeah well this is the way today's game is played and my point is i don't want you to learn today's game you want to learn the game of tomorrow not the game of today the game of tomorrow is going to be today's game. And the game of tomorrow is yesterday's game because all these shots are extant. Every shot, as creative as Roger Federer is, everything he's done has existed for over 50 years. He just does it really well. So grab that stuff, study that stuff, learn from that stuff. I mean, that's kind of my, my message to parents and coaches working with players under the age of 15. Instead of like, I mean, I, I feel almost bad for someone like Sinner, so now comes the time you've learned about the transition. I guess you had so much success doing these other few things. I mean, and then Nadal, Nadal made those, made that evolution too, while he'd already won the French Open. It's impressive. Yeah, Sinner's the one guy who has a good excuse for that though, Joel, since he was only started taking the sport seriously at like 14. Most of these guys are, <laughs> most of these guys are homeschooled by five. Okay. All right. I'm well, just saying. Let's see. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, no, no, you're right. I'm just making up a funny point that if anyone gets an excuse, it's, it's Yannick. And he's still very young. He's still younger than Fritz. Um, I, you know, I'm no technique guru. Um, I leave that to the very fine coaches and, and others that have achieved so much more in the sport. But I will say that a lot of these guys like Sinner and Fritz, particularly on the backhand volley, uh, whether it be the transition volley or if they're already established up front, they're, they're using a technique that is like, it's like a cut, like a this, particularly in transition, where you look at Nadal's backhand volley and it's more, um, he's in that base, um, steady base, like a fire hydrant, and it's the classic this. Um, so I, I think the, they've got a lot of work to do on, on the very technical aspects of volleying. I'll say Apologies to the, the audio people there. I'll say something interesting. About the, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'll, I'll say something about the interesting about volley technique. I talk to a lot of coaches and I read a lot of stuff about instruction. I think there's a lot of common language about ground strokes, a lot of concurrence about certain terms, whether it's loading, torquing and rotation. I think when it comes to volleys, you will encounter so many different words and concepts. I mean, Gil, you and I were talking a few weeks ago about how we each see it and what we were taught in different things about, about lower body, about wrists, about hips. So there's a lot of confusing language about what constitutes effective volley technique, even though we see the, the output, but the way to get there is varies and it varies in countries, it varies in regions, generations. So as these guys, Fritz and Sinner, who are great players, improve their stuff, we can see how that, how that surfaces and how that plays out. Yes, Let's Gil, I, I'm sorry. I, I've got to just say, because uh, so many people listen on audio, instead of a cut across the body, it's more a, a leading with the handle in a, in a straight motion where you get the good shoulder turn. That's the technique that Nadal has. Right. In lieu of the hand and the and you're kind of like hitting the inside edge of the ball too much. And then exactly. it's hard to volley cross-court that way. Exactly. Yes. Uh, let's get to these semis. Nori, Djokovic, start there. We'll do it like a, a snake um, okay. on the top half. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nori's British. Uh, that's one headline. There's no doubt about that. And, and he's been, although, you know, putting putting in amazing results, winning Indian Wells last year, I think continuously underlooked and, and not, not doesn't get the spotlight. I think that some other British, the media spotlight that some other British competitors have, that's about to change. The crowd is going to be in favor of Cam Norrie and he is incredibly tough physically, uh, incredible endurance, lung capacity, uh, will run for days and also has a quirky game. And Joel, as the lefty, I'm curious to, to know what you think of, of Nori's interesting game and how that might match up with Novak. I really like Nori's game. It's, it definitely has some technical quirks to it. And the backhand's got this staccato thing, a little, little Connors-like, a little like some of the shots you see Rafa hit, sometimes some different spins and shapes. And, and the serve has got this kind of little bit hitchy but effective quality, very good effort to get past Gofan in the quarters. Um, Novak, the only time they played before was last year in Turin at the year end, and Novak beat him pretty easily, but there's a whole other time. But I think it's a tricky one for Camp. I think it's tricky. The lefty going, the lefty with the serve <clears throat> that goes to the backhand, that's good for Novak. So I think, I think that's a tough match for Nori. I agree. And I think the one little element that that might bother Novak is that the crowd will be so on Nori's side. But you know what? In a way, it kind of takes the pressure off because he's British. So it's accepted. You know, it's expected. I mean, Um, I will say that my first thought when I found out that it was going to be Nori against Novak is it's so hard to get good practice time against lefties because lefties are at a premium. So if you're going to play a lefty, it's hard to find, you know, a good lefty warm up. Well, Novak has set himself up pretty well, potentially giving himself a really good lefty warm up, um, potentially against another lefty in the final. Novak's also got a pretty good lefty in his camp in, in Goran, who even True. though he's a bit older, can still- I don't know. Do, do they hit and spar? Is that I his? I'm not, not, probably not that often, but nonetheless, um, Goran is classic. You know, you think about how in tennis you don't have, uh, just American baseball closers and, and guys, but Goran's a great, you bring him off the bench, throw in some curves, <laughs> baby. Let me work on that return. Because that's really what it's about with the lefty part for Novak is fielding the lefty serve. So yeah. for that, Goran could still how you- throw a few big ones in and, and uh, that could work pretty well. But I also think the, um, the you know, Nori of totally different kind of lefty than the Dow, of course. It, it is. It is. Although, like you said, Joel, the different, the craftiness is there um, and the, the different spins and slices and that kind of thing is alike. The, the British crowd, um, the thing about a Wimbledon crowd, even if it's partisan, it's partisan in a fair way. I mean, it's not going to be, yes. I think they're going to, I think there are going to be plenty of people who are going to appreciate Novak's fine tennis. So it's not as if, and Nori's going to get them in his quarter, but Nori's not going to whip them up the way you would see in a South American Davis Cup match, where suddenly the crowd is just cheering for everything and cheering false serves and all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be interesting. I think there'll be, there are going to be a lot of interesting points. And so again, as with Sinner, does Novak say, okay, I've done the inventory analysis. I've taken in all your stuff. And are you really going to have enough to execute this over the course of, you know, three set, winning three sets, playing five sets? And that'll be fun. I think for Nori, it's kind of a magical mystery tour. It's a fun ride. Why not? 
he's great, great stuff. No one, ex- he's not, I'm not expecting him to win. I don't think anyone else is. Well, I think that's the big question for me is I, I'm curious about Nori's nerves and I'm a little worried about Nori's nerves because this is just massive. This is a huge mm-hmm. spot for him. And I've seen him in the past. He, you know, he has lost some finals, doesn't have a great record in finals. Uh, it was great that, you know, he, he got the Indian Wells one, which is the most important one of his career so far against Basilishvili. Uh, but uh, against Gafan, I thought he struggled with his nerves in, in the previous match. So I am a little bit worried now. Maybe he's such an underdog. He's playing Novak. Oh, uh, detached from the result a little bit. I can play freely. Maybe. I'm not sure which way that is going to go. I think for Djokovic, it would be surprising, um, obviously. to I mean, look, first of all, when he's nervous, he deals with it so well. But also, Wimbledon semifinal. This is uh, the same spot that I've been in uh, the last three times I've played the event. So there's that. Well, and countless, uh, countless experiences, but also I think when you look at Nori, because Nori is sort of a variation, a version of the, an ultimate self-taught guy, even though he's probably had coaching along his way, but there are a lot of hitches in his technique. Yeah. You're nervous and not working. And then you got the guy who's as technically sound as anyone in the history of the sport ever. And that's, it's, yeah, that's, it's a tall task. Um, watching the post-match interview on center court for Nori, he could barely get out a sentence. He was overcome by emotion. He was, the interviewer was trying to lead him into thanking the crowd and he just could barely produce the words that he needed to produce. So it's a tall task to play Novak Djokovic on center court at Wimbledon. And, and he'd also gotten past Gofan, who to me is kind of like a, a lighter weight version of a Novak in certain ways, in certain ways with his thing. So if Nori had to work, you know, that was a, com- that was a career effort for, for Nori. But nonetheless, you know, a couple of days off, have some food, hit some balls, get the right attitude, take a ride. Yeah, I think he needs to try to make this match extremely physical, but this is grass. That's hard. So I don't know if he's going to like, that's the only way um, I really see Nori feeling comfortable or matching Novak is if they're just going to start to play, um, you know, play a lot of rallies that come down to uh, shot tolerance and who feels stronger in the legs. But man, this is grass. This is grass. This is he. You think Nori wants to turn this into clay on Hamburg? I, I don't. I don't know what else. I mean, yeah. I think. And by the way, I think some of his previous opponents. Well, I don't know if I want to say that Gafan fell into that trap a little bit. But but yes, I think that that's the only advantage that I can find potentially for Nori is that he might be a little bit tougher if it starts to get to the lungs. I just don't think Novak I would let it get, he might let it get that way for a while, but he has the skills to get out of that type of situation. Yeah, but right. And I, I totally agree. I don't think that's a good, I don't think it's really very feasible. I'm just um, yeah. thinking that's. I hear you like a dog try. fight, like a parks and rec kind of dog well, fight. A dog he fight might. that lasts really long with long rallies. See, I don't, I think, see if I'm coaching, I say, you got to, you got to innovate. You got to ask questions. You got to take some rips. You got to come in on some second serves of Novak's. You got to you got to empty this bucket a little bit and, you, and 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 bring out bring your bring your leftiness that way. You're not going to Guillermo Vilas this guy on grass. <laughs> I would lo- I would I don't know. He probably does have the skills. I I would look at lobbing him because Novak the one area of weakness is the overhead. So bring him in and try to lob him. Um, you know, just like completely try to throw off his rhythm and his pace, but I, I'm not even sure that would work. Well, yeah, I don't... Nori does some of that innately with some of his strokes, because again, his way of winning physical matches, isn't just kind of like grinding down. He, he does a lot of different, he does a lot of interesting things. So, okay. So we'll bring it on. We'll zero in on one thing. First serves. If you see in those first two service games, Nori's taping or missing first serves, that's going to that because that's a shot you can control that's the that's the thing you can really control the tempo of the rally early and if he's not able to do that because with nerves and and you know i'm not i'm not smitten of cam nori's serve technique even though it works for him 
Yeah, and which, Djokovic. Which stroke is technically sound? Well, the backhand's very flat, right? It, it, and the forehand it, 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 is, is little... and he's top 10 in the world. He's oh, it's over here, actually. <laughs> sounder than everybody, like seven players in the world. I mean, tech, that's the thing about technically sound. I mean, you know, my backhand is really technically sound against these guys. And then I come up against someone else. And Yeah, good point, Joel. There are many ways to skin the cat and Nori's forehand and backhand work very well in their own ways, especially the backhand on grass. I think it, it barely bounces. It's so flat. He gets great angles. He moves the ball around the court very well. So he's not like this defensive player. I think that's what you were getting at, Joel. Exactly. And um, the last thing I want to say before we move on to Nadal Kyrgios is nobody's ever beaten. I think the overhead weakness that Djokovic has, that's the best weakness in the world. Yeah. I mean, no it's, it's like, I was talking off camera with you guys about Berrettini's backhand. It, it's a bad backhand in the context of the top 10 in the world, but it's not a bad backhand in the context of the top 100. So same deal. Um, it's, uh, it's just, if he misses a couple, um, you know, if you lob him over the backhand side and he has to move around and he misses a couple, potentially that could open the door. But look, I, I'm all about if you don't have the skills and the shots and the execution to beat one of the big three, then I would be about something radically different instead of just, well, I played my game, I played my best, and it was I was not good enough on this day. I'm I'm more about try something really out there. Um, because like a lot of people, I mean, I've been watching these younger guys try to beat our big three for years and years and years and years. And once again, we've got Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal in semifinals of a Grand Slam. Yeah, what, what I meant is like no one's ever beaten Djokovic by giving him overheads. Have right? they tried? I, I don't. Have they tried? No, because so, I, okay, I think so it might... nobody has yeah. nobody has the chutzpah to but try something the, radical like that. So you want the match? You want, you want Nori? Open up, kick serve, first serve, get that first serve in, so he's in the rally. Drop shot, in comes Novak, lob. Look. Open the match that way? No, but wait, if he wait, gets wait, wait, down might... a couple of sets. Oh no, but see, but no, this seems to think about innovation. This thing about innovation. Do we start the innovation? Do we start with the innovation or do we draw to the innovation? And I like your point. If, if you know you don't have the best chance to win and you think, oh, I'm going to play my game and do my thing. Oh, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to lose two, four, and three. Or do I open with those things? And they're not, they're, they're I open with those things. Yeah. So the first three points, I'm going to, I'm going to drop shot and lob. The thing is though, with Novak and today's players, Novak, he's a pretty good drop shot retriever. Yeah. And he comes in and he's going to crack a forehand or backhand that yeah. you won't touch. So it's not as simple as like, you know, playing the guy at the park. and No, no. And, and again, I don't know. I haven't watched Nori enough to know where his skills are in this regard. I just watched Rafael Nadal execute half a dozen drop shots which had the perfect amount of backs and spin and side spin on them that taylor fritz could not run most of them down then i saw taylor fritz hit a drop shot that had no spin on it and sat right up that nadal ripped so i don't know the skill level you know I, i'm just saying my overarching point here is i would love to see somebody try something radically different as opposed to just well i did my best a, a ps on nadal and his drop shot nadal's the thing that makes nadal's drop shot so effective i think is the top spin on his forehand because he mm -hmm. he, he spreads the court more so than even the flat kind of forehands you know, because it puts you it, it puts the opponent in such a place back and high and then they're there i mean and then and then so therefore there creates more space for his drop shot anyway let's go yeah. on to, on to nadal Yep, heaviness pushes pushes the opponent back to open up the the front court and the space for sure. Um, all right, the most anticipated semifinal of the two, unless you're a Novak fan, and then then you're more pumped for Djokovic Nori or maybe a Brit also. Okay, there are some populations who might like the other semifinal, but Nadal Kyrgios, um, they have a Wimbledon history. The first time I think most people heard about Nick Kyrgios was when he beat Nadal at Wimbledon and he was 
a young, you know, he was a teenager and he was still serving big and he hit a, a tweener that I'll never forget, a tweener winner from the baseline that's kind of cinched in my brain because it was that good a shot. And uh, look, many, many years later, Nick uh, is one step further. Now he is in a semifinal, which is further than he's ever been in a major. He His effort has been consistent at the same time there have been blowups, high profile blowups and spats throughout this event. Not to mention he uh, news broke recently that he has a court date in Australia for uh, for assault of his girlfriend in Australia. I just I don't you guys don't need to say anything about that. I just needed to say that it's a thing um, before we talk about the match um, or without just ignoring that. Yeah, um, it, it's an uh, it's alleged. He's not he hasn't been convicted, but it's a yeah, it he, appears he a that date. it's going to be alleged in court. Yes, right. Um, but as far as the tennis goes, Nick, I think, is a guy who who will not game plan for Rafa. He's going to do exactly what he does, um, and it's the the shot making and the the. Man, the quality of that serve is is something else, and we have Nadal's health as a factor as well. Amy, what are your what's the main thing to watch in your mind between uh, Nadal and Kyrgios, and what are you most interested to see? Well, the overall head to head, I believe, is six three Nadal, and they're one and one at Wimbledon. Uh, don't forget that in their last meeting at Wimbledon, Nadal handled him pretty pretty easily. I think the two big things to watch, like normally I really get into X's and O's and stats and, and um, you know, the battles of tactics, but I think the two big things here are not tactical or, or X's and O's. I think it's Nadal's injury, the extent of it. What will he be able to do on his serve? Um, and the other thing is, will Curios be able to hold it together mentally? He has to this point somewhat. He's had incidents, um, but he's been able to proceed through the draw okay. Yeah, I think something about Nick Curios, you know, I think Nick Curios is actually kind of a tactical savant in a certain kind of way. I don't know if he plans or doesn't plan. He would admit it. That I suspect he wouldn't want to admit it because God forbid Nick Harris admitted that he actually spent time sitting down with a piece of paper or thinking about something. But I think instinct is trained knowledge. And I think Nick Kyrgios has a pretty neat tactical sense, you know, of using the space, of using height, of using depth, of using spin. That's what makes him so appealing and frustrating at the same time, because he, he sure likes to trot it out when he's playing a big guy in a big court. His career is about not doing it when no one's watching week in and week out. And I'm, and I think you two are like this too. I'm a little bit more of a tortoise than I am a hare. I'm kind of a plotter and I admire people who, that's why I think we, David Ferrer, you know, I, I have a certain respect for David Ferrer and, and Karras knows that too. It would have been interesting if Karras had played his, uh, his compatriot Alex Dimonar in the quarters because those guys are so opposite in their approach to the game. But I think, uh, I think Karras, uh, it's going to be a really interesting match. I'm, thinking about an X and O I'm thinking about maybe how Nadal returns serve, you know, maybe that's a factor. And I think that was a key against Taylor Fritz who came in, uh, came into the event. Chris Otto uh, posted this stat. 52% um, of his serves went unreturned. I don't know what it was against Nadal, but uh, it certainly wasn't that it definitely wasn't that. And these big servers often against Nadal and Djokovic, they just have to play so much more. And then it becomes a focus thing. Uh, Nick might not be able to, to dig out of his 1540 without playing a shot other than his serve uh, because Nadal is just at the, another level in terms of uh, return skills. So I think that's, that's, very, uh, that's very interesting and important. I was encouraged by the Nadal return of serve against Fritz. Kyrgios, uh, 30 aces with Nadal. What do you guys think? 30, 25, more? What has he been averaging per per set? I'm not sure, know? but I think against Nadal, and I think Nadal's mindset is he's going to get his aces. That's going to happen. You just like it's like in uh, in basketball, the guy's going to score a bunch of points, but how do you 
get in his face more? How do you, when you can't, when you do have a look at a second serve return, or do you make some su surprise returns? Not, not that they're going to be as forceful as Novak's returns, as much as it's going to get Rafa in the point, play it deep, and keep Nick from just doing that dictating. He does it so well. I'm curious, when he's backing up his serve, whether it's aces or forehands and, and the backhand, it's very impressive when he's dialed in that way. It's probably noteworthy that Fritz had not dropped a set going into his match against Nadal. So therefore the serve efficacy by the fourth set was starting to go down, not, not necessarily speed wise, but just because Nadal had been looking at it all day. So he started to catch up to it. That could be a factor if the match is extended against Curios. And, and Curios, I think is a more, um lively forehand and serve guy than Fritz. I mean, he's got such a live arm. Now, of course, the other X factor is Nadal's health. You know, it's funny, we talked about the foot. Now we, yeah. have, now we have the stomach. I think Nadal serves really well against, against Kyrgios in this matchup. I think that's a big factor. If I, if I can choose righty or lefty, um, I, I want to be a lefty if I'm playing Kyrgios because I want to jam him on his forehand return. Right. Um, that's his weak return. And he said that by the way, and so many right-handers um, missed the mark tactically against Kyrgios because, and, and, you know, they're used to kicking it to the righty backhand and okay. I'm on the ad side. It's the second serve kick serve out wide. That's what I do. That's my second serve against righties, you know, especially and against Nick, that's just the inferior serve. What, what Rafa does is he hits that slider into Nick's forehand return or goes and goes body a lot. And uh, it has been very, very effective against Kyrgios. So um, again, the ab thing is a concern for, for Rafa's serve, but at least tactically it's a good matchup for Nadal against Nick's return. And I happen to look at, I, I don't know if the IBM stats are right on this. They don't do this as well as Infosys does, but I happen to look at the serve placements right before we came on the air and Nadal spread it around really nicely and did some good work on the body. And if IBM is correct, not sure about this, Fritz did not serve one serve into Rafa's body, which really surprised me, but you know, that's, uh, he, he, he does serve well. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I mean, look, I, I, Rafa, because he's so far back a little tougher to get it into the body, but man, I wish, I wish we saw more body serves and, um, center center went all of Wimbledon serving like every second serve into the body. And it worked brilliantly until Novak. Well, because Novak moves around it pretty well, and Novak kind of took the measure. And then I think also in that match, uh, Sinner became patterned. And Novak said, okay, I've read all your patterns. You got nothing. You're, you're not bringing me anything new. And, and I think that's what's going to make this Kyrgios-Nadal match interesting is because uh, Kyrgios has always got lots of tricks and things and concepts and ideas. And, uh, and oh, it's a, it's, a very, it's a very interesting match. I think if, uh, if Nadal was fully healthy, I'd favor him, but I actually, in this one, I think Kyrgios is probably his kind of favorite in a way. I don't What's know. What's the over-under on the number of underarm serves? Oh, uh, we'll see it. We'll see it. Yeah, but I think it'll be done at, um, I think it'll be done at a 40 love or something kind of frivolous. I don't think, I don't see it. I don't see Nick doing it on a big point, but hey, what do I know? I mean, this guy is so hard to understand in, in a way. Great segue, Amy, because in Acapulco, when they played, mm -hmm. the underarm serve was more like new. We, we hadn't seen it much. And Nadal seemed pretty rattled when Nick went to it in the third set. And that was a match that I think Kyrgios did get in Rafa's head a little bit. And I'm sure Nadal has vowed to not let that happen again. And then at Indian Wells, when they played this year, one of the things um, you noted, especially Amy, was that Nadal was so, was so, I, I'm missing the word, but he basically ignored everything that was going on with Nick and the umpire and, and the circus that, that can be happening on the other side of the court. So the, the mental management of this match, do you think that's how Nadal plays it? It's just utter, I don't, 
I don't care. I don't see it. You know, just block it out. That's the Dow also, but he just has to be doubly vigilant for that versus curious. I was at that match at Indian Wells. And I think that's how the Dow treats lots of matches because he wants it to just be about the tennis, but he knows with Nick, there's this sideshow going on. So his, his concentration is going to become more vivid. I mean, the, the contrast, I mean, if you look at tennis as a personality struggle, um, it's never more clear than when these two play. I mean, it's a whole thing. I mean, if you look at it, like uh, I use school terms a lot. Nadal goes to school every day. He goes to the library, he does his homework, and that's what's made him a great player. And Nick is the kind of guy, hey, I don't need to do that stuff. You guys, oh God, what are you doing? Come on, you don't need to be. What do you... And so that's why he goes in and out. And that's why he's kind of a head scratcher. I mean, this is a guy who's admitted he's thrown matches when the Boston Celtics lose basketball games. I think if my favorite basketball team lost, I'd want to avenge them and win. But, you know, Nick has got his own, his own stuff and it's his own shell he puts around himself because he does, he so wants to be cool. Amy, what do you think of the mental components of, of managing a match against Nick? I'm glad you brought that up that I had said that. And I, I do remember that now. Um, but Nadal hasn't totally been a hundred percent businesslike in this Wimbledon because he had that incident. Um, and he's got a lot to worry about with regard to his own body. So it's really, really a tough one to be just completely dialed in tunnel vision and, you know, ignore all the other stuff at this point, dealing with what you're dealing with and having to play Nick Curios. I, I just, my fingers are crossed and everything is crossed that Nadal can, can play the match because uh, I'm really, ex this is a legit 100% real rivalry between these two guys, both from a tennis aspect and a, an interpersonal aspect. So this is one I really want to see. Yeah, this has a little bit of that emotional quality that we had once upon a time with the likes of uh, Connors and McEnroe, McEnroe and Lendl, a little bit more than just the business. And the one thing with the three, they pretty much are about the business. So we, they're, they're pretty well behaved and pretty have this mutual respect for one another. And this one's a little different because I, I wonder how Nadal actually regards Kyrgios, though he knows he's a, a great player, but there's definitely some emotional aspects. And again, I'm hoping... I'm hoping none of this match gets decided in the end by physical, by an injury. Me too. You know, we, uh, you always want contrast in a tennis match. The best matches have contrast in styles, uh, sometimes contrast in personalities. And man, it, it just doesn't get any sharper than uh, Nadal versus Kyrgios. So looking forward to that and hoping for Nadal's good health. And uh, should be quite the occasion for Novak Djokovic looking to get back into a Wimbledon final. So much at stake for him against a British semifinalist in Cameron Norrie. Semifinals will be great. We look forward to covering it on three. That'll do it for this episode. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.